Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I know that there are some people who worked around here yesterday who were uh, moving real slow um, and decided to keep the Motrin industry in business. Um, In fact, if you were, I, I hate to, I'm not even gonna do this. Um, I saw one of them just sit down a moment ago, and I started to say, if you were on one of those crews stand-up, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you, if you served yesterday, you know, up here, just raise your hand. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we had a great day of fellowship, and, and the Lord accomplished much in the, the way of work, and uh, it was a good thing. Um, one of the other things that is interesting right now here this morning, I walked outside a moment ago in between services to do some greeting and welcoming people, and there was this army of pillow people. There was this army of people coming to church with their pillows in hand. Now, if you want to discourage a preacher, <laughs> I'm just saying, all, you know, some of them had uh, blankets and you know, all kinds of stuff, sleeping bags. No, our, our young people had a wonderful weekend. I, I can't wait to hear more reports about uh, their Disciple Now weekend. And they're, they're here. They've kind of taken over this arena of our auditorium. And we praise God for what God did in their hearts and minds this week and what's going to come out of that uh, in the days ahead. And Because we know God starts new things for his purposes. And we look forward to what all that's going to be. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to take some moments to do something. About a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years ago, um, Pastor Dave uh, shared in uh, a time when we were together in pastoral staff meeting and something that God had put on his heart. And so uh, this day has been coming for a while. It just got here a lot quicker um, than we, or at least I thought, once the, the, the ball began rolling. So I'm going to ask Pastor Dave if he would come on up and, and join me up here. Um, welcome, Dave, Pastor Dave. Yeah. Everybody say hi, Pastor Dave. <laughs> um, Dave, I'm going to let you tell the story because it's your story to tell, brother. Certainly. Well, I want to start off by saying Good morning to my River Bluff family, unfortunately for one last time, because uh, what God has been doing in my life, uh, even before I knew it, was preparing me to leave River Bluff and plant a church, and so that's what I'm going to be doing, and and I'll share that story with you, but I do want to start off by saying this is what I'm not saying. There has been nothing going on behind the scenes. There is nothing happening at River Bluff that is wrong, but it's just a movement of God in, in my life, in the life of several others, to see a, a church planted locally. And um, so what's been going on is rooted out of the relationship that we, as the family of River Bluff, have had with a local elementary school, Oak Brook Elementary, um, happens to be the school where my wife works, so um, I've been a part of that journey for about the last six years. We started off with a program called Reading Buddies, going into the classrooms, being able to take uh, some kiddos out of the classrooms and helping them learn how to read at a young age. Uh, Another thing that um, 
I've been able to be involved with over the last three or four years is going uh, once a week before school starts uh, and on a volunteer basis gathering with some of the teachers and praying with them for the school week. And um, another thing that I've been involved with there at Oak Brook Elementary is uh, a program after school on Thursday afternoons called Man Up where we've had about 60 to 70 young boys from the school that um, on a volunteer basis stay after school. We do some exercises, calisthenics, sporting activities, and we share the gospel with them. We have a devotional with them every week. And, and so all of this to say that God has allowed me to build many great relationships with the teachers, with the staff, with some of the kiddos, and, and God has really allowed me to do a lot of ministry there on the campus. And that has come to the point where I believe God would have me to plant a church that's focused uh, on the school, on the staff, the teachers, the kiddos and their families in the community. And so in order to do that, I'm leaving River Bluff to focus on planting that church there um, around uh, Oak Brook Elementary. And so it's, it's been a work that God has been doing. Um, sometime I've resisted that work saying, no, really, I'm, I'm pretty safe and comfortable and secure here at River Bluff. I love the family of River Bluff. Why, why would you take me from that? But um, in my knowledge of the gospel, it's never been safe and comfortable and secure. And so I believe God would have me to take that step outside of um, the ministry that God has allowed me to have here to, to do ministry there at Oak Brook Elementary. Some of you may know, some of you may not know. Uh, Pastor Dave has been, uh, they've been part of our church for about eight years now, I think. And uh, he's been on our staff going on seven and a half years. Um, he has served, his primary uh, area has been in helping us connect globally in missions. And Dave has done an incredible job of helping us establish relationships uh, globally. Uh, he has also um, had a, kind of a primary role in our senior adult ministry. And I know that so many of you are experiencing grief. Uh, some of you knew about it. I know they've contacted some and, and let folks know. But um, it, is, it is a sad season. All of us, for all of us, this is um, a loss. And loss always brings some sadness and sorrow and, and, and grieving. And all of those things are appropriate. While at the same time, um, the gospel of Jesus, so often when you watch the gospel spread, unfold... Uh, this is what the Lord would do. The Lord would take um, from among uh, a family, a church, and send out sometimes some of the very best to, uh, to go plant a church and continue the mission of God, which brings the greatest glory to God on this planet. And uh, I know that's, that's Dave's heart, and so we're, we're grateful for that. Um, Dave, Dave came to me kind of right after the first of the year and said, and I think I'm quoting, you know, I, I asked this in the first service, um, but Dave said, it's time for me to kick myself in the butt. So I'm going to go look for a job. And um, obviously he still, you know, has to participate in helping feed his family and those kinds of things, care for the family um, while he's doing this. And so Dave's done that. And man, that happened like in three or four hours um, from the time he saw a job posted. And so where, where, where can they find you in the days ahead? 
Well, I won't be too far away. I, I was able to get a full-time job working at the Lowe's down here on Dorchester Road. So just right down the road, I'll be working in their indoor garden department. So I'm sure I'll be seeing some of you as you drop in, especially now that springtime is here. Um, and I'm hoping God will even allow me to minister while I'm there working at Lowe's. But uh, this is, it's been one of the hardest decisions of my life. Uh, but as I said, the gospel isn't something that's easy. Uh, it costs our Lord Jesus, um, our Savior, his life. And so in order to move the gospel forward, I believe it's going to have to cost me something and, and my family as well. And that cost comes at the price of uh, leaving the River Bluff family. Um, but you can come visit me down the road. And, and Dave shared in the first service that we may see him, you know, every now and then here. Uh, his, uh, his youngest daughter, Callie, has, you know, wants to stay connected to some of our student ministry activities. And so uh, what we want to do is pray for them and, uh, and, and love them and encourage them uh, on this journey. Uh, stop by and say, hey, um, this, that's not a plug for Lowe's in case you work somewhere else, you know. Um, we're, not, we're, not, we're not doing that, but we do... Uh, do want you to know where, where Pastor Dave's going to be and what, what's next in his life. So I'm just going to ask you, let's get started praying for them and uh, join me now as we pray. Father God, we come in the powerful, wonderful, beautiful name of our Savior Jesus, giving you thanks, God, for the joy and the delight and the leadership and the, 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 the touch of the Hardin family on this church especially the touch and ministry that, that Dave has, has brought uh, to us and in us. And so, God, we pray for this new kingdom adventure that you are setting him and Michelle on this journey to plant another gospel outpost um, that, that focuses on uh, the relationships and the families and the children in and around Oak Brook. Uh, elementary school. God, I'm grateful that that doesn't mean that River Bluff will no longer be serving there. Uh, Lord, we, we, we know you're, you've called us there and we're continuing there until such time as you call us somewhere else. But uh, so we know we'll be serving together in the days ahead. And so we just praise your holy name for, for what you're doing. We pray your blessing on Dave and Michelle and, and this new church plant. We ask God that your kingdom would come and your will be done through that work and that your help would come. We pray, Father, for the provision uh, that, that Dave and Michelle need for their family. We pray for the provision this new work will need. Um, we pray for the gathering, Lord, as, as, as Dave's gathering even from the harvest um, uh, to plant this new church. We just pray, uh, Lord, that we would get to see uh, glory come to, to you because of this. And uh, I just ask you now to bless Dave Bless Michelle, bless this work, and bless this River family um, as we walk out our, our own grief in this. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother, so very, very much. Yeah. We, we, we will have some opportunity uh, in the days ahead to, to bless them, I am sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I am always again, amazed at, is the, the work of God in our struggles, how he, he's at work. 
And um, I know some of you are probably sick and tired of hearing me say it, but get over it. Um, the, uh, I, I get amazed at how God works in alignment, alignment with the circumstances we're facing with his word. And so today, if you have a Bible, you may want to go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 6, because that's where we're going to land. And, you know, uh, I've had some, some folks ask me, well, Joe, does this, does this worry you or concern? Well, of course it does. It creates anxiety in me. Um, I mean, it, I'd probably be silly if it didn't. There are, you know, things that just make me pause and, and say, okay, Lord, what are we going to do now? How are we going to, you know, minister to our seniors effectively? How, what's this going to do to some of our global missions, relationships? And, um, and we just need to be mindful of those things. So I, I would invite you to, to pray with me uh, in this. Um, but God, God's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. Uh, in fact, he arranged for the scripture that we focus on today to be about anxious thoughts. He, he, he did that. Now, uh, I confessed in the first service that um, as a kid, I worried a lot. I, I worried about things like my grades and my test results. And I worried a lot about report cards coming. Um, and I worried about how my report cards might adversely affect my parents um, and how that might adversely affect uh, parts of my anatomy. Um, and, uh, you know, th th those kinds of things I worried. And I remember thinking um, as, a, as a child in elementary school, because I, I saw high schoolers, and I remember thinking, man, they're, they're carefree. They, they just have so much fun. They get to go and come and... Man, when I get to high school, I won't ever worry again. And I got to high school, and I worried about all the same things that I worried about when I was in elementary school, but then I had other things to worry about. You know, how would, how would it look, my performance on an athletic field? How, how would it, you know, dating? Oh, my goodness. Worried about dating, you know? Worried about all kinds of things, you know? When would I get a first car? You know, what would, it, what would it look like? Would it be a beat? You know, those kinds of things. Uh, just worried. And I remember looking at adults and thinking, oh, man, when you get a job, you know, and you get, get, get married, when you get kids, man, that's the life. You don't ever have to worry again. We had a seven-pound, I don't remember how many ounces, little girl show up at our house. And I found out what worry was, you know? And she grew up. She ended up having a little brother. They left. But you know what didn't leave with them? That thing called worry. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't exit the building when they, when they exited the building. See, worry, worry's not my friend. And, and it's not yours. It always tries to get us to live in a future that we can't control. And when that happens, we miss the present, beautiful work uh, of God. Wor worry is insatiable, just insatiable. It, it, you know, I, you, <laughs> you can worry about not having kids, 
And then when you have kids, you can worry that they're not going to turn out right. And, you know, those, those two things are mutually incompatible, but you can worry about both of them. Same person can. We, we can worry about, worry is just a relentless killjoy. Having thoughts like, well, there won't be enough. You're not going to make it. They're not going to like it. The financial bubble's going to burst. I think I'm disappointing everybody. Worry, it gets you uh, to say things and think and meditate on things like, you know, what if? Instead of thinking what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have to worry about what if. Or, or worry could cause me to say, if I, if I only had, instead of as Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, I can just be thankful in this circumstance right now, the, the one I'm facing. And, 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 and worry, worry is sneaky. Worry will sneak up on you. You know? I can, I can worry about whether or not this sermon will keep you awake or put you to sleep because I know you miss an hour. I, I, I can worry whether this is message will make any difference in anybody's life. And yes, I know the irony of that since we're going to be talking about Jesus saying, don't worry. Jesus, I hope you walk away from today realizing Jesus hates worry. Maybe not for the reason you may be thinking. Jesus hates worry because of what it does to people. What it, what it does to make us small and selfish and timid and angry and mean. How, it, how worry can choke and kill dreams and rob you of joy and steal all seasons of your life. But here's the good news. This is the good news. Though Jesus hates worry, Jesus loves him some worriers. He just loves worriers. He has compassion for people for whom this is chronic. So if your anxiety is chronic, worry to the point of panic attacks, if this is just an, an enemy that is crushing your soul, and maybe you've even been exposed to Christians or, or maybe even churches that sometimes make you feel worse about your worry because they kind of say, hey, it's your fault. If, if, if that's you, you know, they say, you ought to have more faith. If that's you, Jesus has good news for you today. He, he, he has good news. Now, I, 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 there are people that I know and love who this battle is killing them. It's just killing them. And oftentimes we outside of their circle of life, their, their, their pain, we, we don't understand. But please hear me say this, if that's you. God knows. God sees every single detail. And God cares. He cares. See, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say the words that we're about to read in order to burden you. In, in fact, Jesus, Jesus says his burden is light. About, I guess, two years ago now, um, the Lord gave us a, a, a sabbatical. And on that sabbatical, 
There's a passage in Matthew chapter 11 that God used to breathe new life into my kind of broken, despairing soul. And in Matthew chapter 11, it's not going to come up on the screen. You can write it down and look it up later. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus talks about, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I would say maybe from worry. Everybody who's like that, come to me because I'm going to relieve your burden, Jesus says. He says, I will give your soul rest. He goes on in verse 29 to say, let me teach you. Let me teach you to experience the rhythm of life in the kingdom of God. And he goes on to describe himself as gentle and humble in heart. And in him you can find rest, rest for your souls. So we come to this place in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying for, for months now. And I want you to hear, as we read this together, I want you to hear Jesus' heart. He's not angry. He is gentle and, and he is humble. And I want you to hear these words as words that carry deep concern. So if you will read with me from Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start reading um, in, in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the the unbelievers, if you would, seek after all these things. And your heavenly fathers knows that you need them all. But, instead of living that way, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God, And his righteousness, and all these things that you're so worried about, all these things will be added to you. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, this is the word of the Lord, and it is for your good. God's word is that. So let me, let me jump in real quickly and say, here's the big idea for today that I want to make sure you get, get captured by. We, what we try to do is we try to change the things we worry about. We try to adjust them. We try to fix them. And Jesus, what he promises to change are not those things. Jesus promises to change the worrier. He, he promises to do something on the inside. We, try, we, we focus on the outside. Jesus wants to do a, a work on the inside. Now, in, in doing uh, prep for this message, I do what can I always do. I, I go through and I try to do a word study and look at some of the, 
the, the words that are repeated, the words that really have meaning to a passage. I look at what other commentators say. Um, I, I do a lot of reading. And I, I, I came across somebody that I had never read any of his writings or teachings before um, this week. Uh, he's a devoted follower of Jesus. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. He was a German uh, theologian and philosopher named Eugen Rosenstock Hesse. And he wrote uh, on this passage specifically, and what he wrote about was about how do we locate our lives in the reality of which Jesus was speaking. How do, we, how do we locate ourselves there? Because what Jesus is talking about is a life without worry. How do we, how do we locate ourselves into that reality that Jesus is talking about? And he used an illustration that he, he talked about as, the, as a cruciformed life. And basically that just translates into a cross-shaped life. And so Dr. Eugen describes our reality, and our reality is that God created us, uh, people, to live in the context of time. That's our reality. And our reality is also that we occupy space. So he writes about the two realities uh, of time and space. And he says that when it, comes, when it comes to time, we actually need to live at the intersection of our past and our future. We need to live at that, that po point where they intersect, which is, is the now. It, it's, it's the present. But that's hard for us to do. And it's hard on us when we, when we don't. Because God designed us to live in the moment, in the now, with Him. At the intersection of our past and our future. Now, all of us have a past. We, we remember, you know, what's behind us. And we either do that with gratitude or, or, or with regret. And all of us have some type of anticipation for the future. And our anticipation of the future is either filled with hope or it is filled with, with fear. But friends, the only place that you are really going to find God is now. Not in your past and not in your future. It, it, it's now. And so, Dr. Eugen talked about uh, as creatures living in time, we need to live with God in this moment. The moment that we have right now, the moment that, that God gives us, we need to live in, in, in this moment. Because here's what regret will do. Regret will try to keep you stuck in the past. And anxiety will try to run you ahead to the future. And in either of those two locations, in time, you miss an opportunity to be with God. You miss the, the, the moment in, in the kingdom of God. So we're all creatures who live in time, he said. But he goes on to talk about how we uh, occupy space. And that we live in it spatially uh, in our inner world. We have an inner life that's made up of our thoughts. And they're, they're constantly flowing. But we also live in an outer world where we kind of experience the surroundings. In our, in our mind, there are these just ceaseless flowing thoughts that are always, uh, always going. And your, your inner life is intended by God to be a gift. God intends for your inner life not to be a struggle. In fact, here's the deal. We were created by God to live with peace, to live with peace in our inner world. That's God's plan is that we would find peace in, in, our, in our inner world. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it tells us that we can let the peace of Christ be at home in our hearts. 
That, that, that can actually happen. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, can guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. So your inner world is a gift from God and can be lived that way. But also our outer world, it, it's also a gift from God. Now, oftentimes when I hear Christians talk, it's, it's kind of like the outer world's the enemy. It's not the enemy. God created it, and he created it for a gift. And here's what God intended for us to experience in our outer world and intends for us to engage our outer world. See, we were, we were created by God to love in our outer world. This is where love takes place. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus told those of us who follow him that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our We're to love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, I give a new command to you, that you love one another. That you love each other. And then Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, he goes even further and says, love your enemies. And so Dr. Eugen says this is where disciples of Jesus lived. In this cross-shaped life, we live at that intersection. We live at that intersection of the time that we have in the spaces that God gives us. You cannot live in your past. You can't live in the future. You can only live in the right here, the right now. That's where you get to experience the working of God in the now. And then there's another now. And then there's another now. And they just continue to go on. And that's where you live with God in, in, in the now. And, and here's the really awesome thing about now. It's part of eternity. It, it's part of eternity because if you're in existence living with God, you're experiencing eternal life in the now. And that's what Jesus said life was was knowing God, that eternal life was, was knowing God. Somebody once asked, some of you have heard of uh, the great uh, ancient Christian theologian, uh, Augustine, and somebody asked him one time, they, they said, okay, if in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, what was God doing before the beginning? This was uh, Augustine's reply. He said he was creating hell for people like you who ask dumb questions. Now, Augustine didn't really think that that was a dumb question, and, and God, God loves that his people ask questions, that they, they seek him. This is how we're to live, to look for, for God. But that should impact how we think about the past, because our past should be filled with gratitude, and can be, no matter what your past is. And our future, in, in, in the kingdom of God with Jesus, can be filled with, with hope. And in the kingdom with Jesus, our hearts, our inward thought life can be filled with, with peace. And our outward relationships can be an experience of love. That is the cross-shaped life. But that's what makes the first word that Jesus utters in this section of Scripture so important. That first word back in verse 25, hopefully you remember it, was the word therefore. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And we've said this before. When you see Jesus say, therefore, you need to find out what's the therefore, therefore. 
Jesus, let me tell you what he wasn't saying. Jesus wasn't saying, ah, oh, don't worry, you know, because it, it, it hurts your body. So don't do it for that reason. You know, Jesus doesn't say, now don't worry because it's unpleasant. And you don't want to have anything unpleasant in your life. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus doesn't say, say it for that reason. Jesus says, don't worry. Because if you're his, then you live in a God-made, God-breathed, God-soaked, God-saturated, God-watched, God-loved world. It's just, it can be full of God. Don't, don't worry because your cross-shaped life is in the hands of the God of all creation, and he cares for you. And so, so Jesus says, if you don't believe me, look at the birds. You know, I said uh, a couple of weeks back, you know, I, I was talking about, you know, there are different seasons in Charleston. Do you know what season it is right now? It's goose poop season. <laughs> Be careful where you walk. Be careful where you walk. I, I, I heard recently a story about a family that um, came upon a, a little family of, of, of geese. And it, was, it looked like a, a mama goose and a papa goose and um, about eight or nine little goslings. And as they come, came upon them, uh, the goslings were eating and one of the, one of the goose w were eating. And the mother in the family s uh, spoke into it and she said... Oh, look at that. The mother goose is watching over her whole family so that they can all eat, making sure they're safe. And the, the, the husband, her husband said, how do you know that's the mother goose watching? I mean, what makes you, you don't know that much about geese. What makes you think that? And she said, well, everybody knows that in every species of every, you know, that the mother always sacrifices her needs for the good of her whole family while the dad just sits around and fills his face. <laughs> and just at that moment, the geese switched places. And one that was not eating started eating, and the one that was not watching started watching. And so the dad said, thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> and he said, what do you do now? What, how do you explain this now? And just as those words were cutting out of his mouth, that goose that was up looking put his head back down and started eating again. Which only proves the reality that Jesus was speaking about. God is the only one who was really always watching over all of us. All of his creation, you know, at all times. Only God is doing that. And so Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not of more value to God? If nobody's ever looked you in the eye and answered that question for you, the answer is yes. Yes, you are of much greater value to God. See, what, what Jesus is saying is like, like with God in all of his creation. He, he cares, he sees, he knows. You know, science, science these days tries to convince us that we live in some deterministic machine. That we have, you know, no choice in, in, in anything. 
you know, shortly while I sit in my sunroom, which is kind of my study area, I'm going to get to watch some hummingbirds swoop in and drink from one of our feeders. And when you look around and see azaleas blooming, and just, it just happens. You didn't do a thing. They just, they just happen. Friends, that's God. That, that, that is God at, at work in his creation. He, he, is, he is working all the time. And, and Jesus, in this message that he's giving, he hasn't even gotten to you yet. He's just been talking about birds and, and flowers. But then he, he, Jesus goes a little further. But before I do that, though, over in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says something else that's very interesting as a way of illustrating again God's tender care as a, as a father. In Luke chapter 12, verse 6, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? But not one of them is forgotten before God. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Isn't that good news? Look at somebody near you. Just take a moment. Look at, look at somebody near you. How many sparrows do you think they're worth? How many sparrows would it take before you trade them in? You know? God says there are enough sparrows. You're, you're more valuable than that. Now, you may be here today and you've been tempted to think that God doesn't see or care. That God doesn't know what's going on, that he's not taking care of you, that you don't have the life or the job or the home or the, the resources that you want. You may think, you know, it's rare if I even ever, God ever even gives me a good day. So let me ask you a question, just here for a moment. What would it take for you to have a good day? What does it take for you to get to the end of the day and say, that, that was a good day? You know, the Bible says this in Psalm 118. This, this day, it's the day the Lord has made. This day is the day the Lord has made. And because God is in it with me, I can rejoice. It's, it's that in the moment now kind of thing. Not about my past, not about my future. In the moment now, this is the day. I heard a, a testimony uh, given, this has been years ago, a testimony from a doctor who had battled cancer. And um, he had gone through the whole chemo regimen and, um, and at the end of it, and, and the chemo had just devastated his body. At the end of it, um, you know, they waited a, a period of time, about a month or so, and he went in for his uh, CT scan to tell you know, how much good the chemo had done. And the next day, the hospital called with his lab results, and the results were not good. The results showed that um, the cancer had spread. It had not been abated. And being a doctor and involved in the lives of patients, he knew what, what that meant. He knew that, you know, he wouldn't get to see his kids grow. He... He, he wouldn't get to, you know, grow old with his wife that he loved. He, so much he wouldn't get to do. The next day, the hospital called him and said, 
we're so sorry. Your results got mixed up with somebody else's results. And in fact, it was somebody, a patient who had yet to go through chemo. Your results show there is no cancer left, that, that you were cancer, cancer free. Do you want us to call this lab technician in so you can ream them out? And the doctor said, yeah, call them in, but I want to kiss them. Because this is now the best day of my life. What had changed? What had changed really? Outwardly. The, his, his reality had not really changed. It, it, it just hadn't. He didn't win the lottery. He didn't, you know, get a fortune. He didn't, you know, nobody gave him a new house. He still went back the next day doing the same old things. He ate the same old breakfast at the same old table. Same old kids were there. I'm not going to say anything about old wife. His same loving wife. What, 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 I made that mistake in the first service. Um, his, his, his wife was there. You know, he, he got in the same old car and went to the same old job. Nothing else had really changed, only this. He knew now that there was never anything ordinary about any moment. Any moment could change and life could come. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're thinking about your life. If you're thinking, God doesn't see me, God doesn't care for me, I'm stuck in the same old job, driving the same old car, married to the same old spouse, I don't know what, what you're thinking, but let me tell you something. Friends, there is somebody in this old world who would love to be driving your old car, who would love to have your old job, and yes, would even love to have your old spouse. Somebody out there somewhere in this world would switch places with you in, in a heartbeat. They'd love to be in your place. If, if that happened to them, this would be the greatest day of their life. Somebody out there. But you know what? We don't see it. But you know who does see it? According to Jesus, birds see it. According to Jesus, lilies in the field, flowers see it, but not us. Friends, Jesus is trying to tell you, you have a wonderful, wonderful father. You have a God who loves you, who cares about you, who sees everything, and he's watching over this whole world, and he's watching over you. And if you can get that God rightly fixed in your mind, Jesus says in the context of that, my advice is don't worry. Don't, don't give yourself over to that. Because eternity exists in the now with that God that you can know and love. You remember that old song? I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. You know how much five sparrows are worth according to the Bible? Two pennies. But his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. He sees you. He knows what's going on, friends. He, he is watching your life. Friends, in the Bible, there are a staggering number of verses that speak to this reality, make the same claim. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. Some translations translate that, be of good cheer. You're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. 
John 14, 1, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me. I'm his son. In, in Psalm 14, uh, 46, verse 1, uh, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in, in times uh, of trouble. Philippians 4, 19 says, and my God shall supply all, all of your needs from his riches and glory through Jesus. Uh, Psalm 27, 1 tells us that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who, who should I fear? If that's true, Joshua 1.9 says, Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Romans 8.38 says, We can be convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present or the future nor powers nor height nor depth nothing in all of the created order can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus friends here's what in other words it's all gonna be okay may not feel like it right now but he's at work and it's all gonna be all right this is what Jesus is claiming and it can be all right in the now Jesus is saying things are not just going to get better than you think. Things are going to get infinitely better than you can even begin to imagine. They're going to turn out so well. And the pain and the suffering and the injustice, the death, it's not going to just get kind of shoved aside. It's going to be redeemed. Everything that you are experiencing that brings you sorrow is going to be redeemed without exception. But if you're rather give your life over to worry, <laughs> Jesus, so often I think people stuck in worry think that all Jesus wants to do is condemn them. Jesus here is not so much giving instruction as he is giving invitation to a worry-free life. Jesus is saying, don't worry, because he knows it crushes people. Friends, quite frankly, you can't not worry sometimes. That trying really hard not to worry by itself will not work. Worry is not sin. Now, people, people choose to disobey God, to pursue greed, to give into lust, to live in full-blown pride or, or deceit. But I've not anybody, met anybody who gets up and says, God, today I'm going to defy you so I can have chronic anxiety and paralyzing worry. I've not, I've not met you yet. See, friends, you need to hear the words of Jesus. If you wrestle with, with worry, don't let the enemy compound that with guilt. Because this is just the truth. Jesus, to those who battle worry, Jesus gives more, he gives much more of an invitation than he gives instruction here. He gives us an invitation so that we can truly be the human beings that he intended and not just human doings. He gives invitation to pursue life in the kingdom of God. And friends, if you remember when we started the series of messages, messages on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, back in chapter 4, if you would, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus began his ministry. Crowds started following him, and everywhere he went, Jesus would give this kind of invitation. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible tells us that the crowds grew so much, one day he went up on a mountain, he sat down. He gave this incredible sermon about life in the kingdom of God. And so we get kind of to the middle of this. And in the middle of this message, this great message, Jesus gives this invitation. Don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that you're worried, they'll get added to you. Make it your top priority to get in on what God is doing to, to experience that goodness of God in your, your, your cross-shaped life right there at the intersection. Study God. Love God. Serve God. Follow God. Serve as God serves. Give as God gives. Love, love as God, your Father, loves you. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, and you will find him in every moment. You'll find him sometimes in the eyes of somebody looking back at you. you you'll, you'll experience God in the voice of somebody that, that's speaking to you. You watch him work with birds and flowers. See how wonderful he is. Rearrange your whole strategy for living around now, the moment that you get to be with God. Remember Jesus says, in other places too. We, we read about it when we studied the great prayer that was a part of this sermon. Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Pray, pray recognizing that God is here in the moment and, and, and live at the center of those intersections. Not tomorrow, right now. Not, not always overwhelmed by the future, but being with God right now. You'll get overwhelmed if you try to figure it all out. You know, the, um, I, I read this week that the U.S. Agriculture Commission, I don't, whatever that agency's called, um, I, don't, I don't know the acronyms, not the acrostic, I realize the, the acronym. Um, that's an inside joke, sorry. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? Oh, food. Um, the Agriculture Commission, whatever it's called, uh, tells us that you and me, each of us individually will eat about a ton of food a year. A ton of food. Close to it. Krispy Kremes, maybe. I could imagine that. But I, can you imagine being set in a room and they just back this dump truck up and it dumps out a ton of food and they say, eat up. You would be overwhelmed. But you know how you eat a ton of food in a year? One day at a time. One bite at a time. One day at a time, one bite at a time. That, that's how you do it. And friends, that's how you live in the kingdom of God. You, you, you take it one day, one day at, at a time. You know, sometimes we think, that we think that the answer to our anxiety is to have less bad stuff happen. You know, sometimes people think, I'm, I'm going to come to Jesus. You know, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm going to make that arrangement with God where he keeps the bad stuff from happening to me. Jesus never said that. He never said that. But he said he would be, he would be with you. And Jesus isn't saying that's the reason not to worry. You know, he's not saying don't worry about tomorrow because if you have enough faith, then everything will turn out right tomorrow. He, that's not what he's saying. Look at what Jesus says at the end of his message here. Verse 34. So, don't worry about tomorrow 
for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Do you hear what Jesus is prophesying here? I mean, what he's saying to you here about worrying about tomorrow? When did Jesus say trouble was coming? Today. When did Jesus say trouble was coming? Tomorrow. Look at the person next to you and say, you're in trouble today and tomorrow. I mean, you just are. We're, 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 we're going to face trouble today and tomorrow. And we don't minimize it. We don't look at the pain in our past and try to spiritualize it or deny it or anything like that. We protest it. We, we lament it. We recognize it. We, we, we do. I'm told that in our lifetime that a, a gentleman by the name of, of Robert Emmons, Dr. Emmons, is currently the living resident expert on gratitude. He's a professor of psychology at the University of California. He's also a very devoted follower of Jesus. And when he talks about uh, gratitude or ingratitude, one of the things that he helps people uh, be captured by is what he calls a redemptive twist. I love that phrase. A redemptive twist. And when he talks that, when he unpacks that, he points to how even though we will go through painful seasons in our life, oftentimes they end up creating some of the deepest, richest community in our lives. Some of the greatest personal growth, some of the greatest connection, some of really new meaning comes from going through that pain when you live a cross-shaped life. But he says, you, you haven't seen nothing yet because God is going to redeem it all. And if you live in a cross-shaped life right now at the center of those intersections, you'll begin experiencing that redemptive twist today. And it can be so powerful that it can actually change in the future how you think about your past, how you see your past. Somebody's saying, Joe, how is that possible? Well, let me ask you a question. There was once a Friday, and on that Friday, some people watched as the person that they had devoted their life to follow hung on a cruel wooden cross and he breathed his last breath and they had pinned all of their hopes on him every last hope they had for them Friday was an awful day it was a wretched day it was the worst day of their lives Saturday came and Friday hadn't changed a bit Friday was still awful and wretched. But then Sunday came. Easter Sunday came. Resurrection Sunday came. And awful, wretched Friday got a name change. And it became Good Friday. Friends, the worst thing in your past can be totally transformed with life in the kingdom. Living it now with the resurrected Jesus giving you life in the here and now and giving you life for all eternity, helping you know God, and that is eternal life. So why worry, Jesus says? Better plan. Seek first God's kingdom. A right relationship with him. All that other stuff gets added to you, baby. Let's pray. 
Father, we, we come in this moment. We come in this moment realizing that this has not been so much about you instructing us how to work our way out of worry. But you've given us an invitation into a better way to live. Life with you. Life in your kingdom. Life recognizing that we live in a God-soaked, God-saturated, God-filled, God-loved world and that we are seen by you no matter what we're going through right now. Maybe you're here today and you came in beaten and battered and broken by this thing called worry. Your heart overwhelmingly anxious, joy sucked from your life. Jesus brought you here today to tell you you don't have to live that way. I understand, I see, I know. I am gentle and humble. I have a better way to live that doesn't burden you. Take on my teachings. Let them flow over you. And you can have life. You can experience a redemptive twist today. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Here's an opportunity to surrender. Surrender. Come to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I'm desperate for you. I, I showed up today. I had no hope left. And I've seen from your words, Jesus, that you see me, you know me, you care. I'm not in this alone. I'm coming to you, Jesus. And Jesus will receive you. And he will love you. And he will never forsake you. And he will walk with you through the darkness. He will give you life. He will help you know his Father. But what you need to do is surrender today to him. What all of us need to do somewhere in our lives is once again maybe surrender. Surrender to follow him, to surrender to trust him. Surrender believing that he is with us there's a better way in his kingdom surrender to seeking first God life in his kingdom in this moment now and maybe for you the best thing for you to do would be to sit out singing in a moment but just pray tell God what's on your heart pour, pour out your brokenness and your pain and your suffering to him and, and let him heal you he sees you he knows he cares. Lord, we come. We come again in this moment, surrendering all, knowing that in surrendering to you is how we have victory in this world. We come in Jesus' name.